reading our scripture. Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate so much your presence. And we're going to be looking at 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13, the passage that was read a moment ago as we think about feeling secure in Christ. Sadly, there are a lot of people in the church who do not feel secure in their relationship to God. There are feelings of inadequacy, insecurity. And so what I want to do tonight is to try to lay a foundation and build upon that foundation so that all of us can feel secure in our relationship to God because to me it's disheartening when people who are a part of the body of Christ do not feel confident in their relationship to God, they don't feel confident about the hope of eternal life. I remember years ago when I was a student at Lipscomb, we used to attend a small congregation in North Nashville, and it's really where, well, I guess first place I ever preached, and some of us college guys would go over there and we would try to preach and lead singing, et cetera, try to get, get some experience. And there was a fellow that held that church together. He was a locksmith. And he tried to preach every week. He was a good man, real good man. And I remember a buddy of mine asked him about eternal life. Did he know, did he believe that he would go to heaven if he died? And his response was, I guess, I hope so. It wasn't what we would call a confident affirmation that, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. And I think some of that was because he felt that if he were to say, yes, I know, to, I know that I'm going to heaven, that that would be boastful. So what I want us to do is look at what the Bible has to say because I think it's important for us to feel confident, secure in our relationship to God. I want to begin our lesson tonight by, first of all, talking about the place of eternal life. Because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, John said, This is the record, this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now, the Bible explicitly tells us that salvation is in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2. At verse 10. But when you think about eternal life, who or what is the source of eternal life? Well, that would be God, wouldn't it? God is the architect of what we would call the redemptive plan. Paul, in writing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, said that we live in hope of life eternal which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. This morning I made mention of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place to redeem the human family. And so when man fell in the Garden of Eden, God began unveiling that redemptive plan. And so down through the ages, the prophets were foretelling of the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, who would come to bring life and salvation to the human family. So as we think about 
the source of eternal life, the fact that God is the architect of the redemptive plan. A couple of things stand out. First and foremost, God offers us love, doesn't He? In 1 John chapter 4, look if you would at verse 8. In verse 8 of 1 John chapter 4, John said, God is love. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So over and over again we read about in the Scriptures the love of God and the fact that God offers the human family His divine love. And you can go back and read many of the epistles. You can read, you can read the gospel narratives. It's abundantly clear that God loves those of us who belong to the human family. The second thing is, God offers life, doesn't He? John 3, 16, the golden text of the Bible, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so to think that God the Father desires that we one day enjoy eternal life, and with regard to our relationship to Him and the eternal life that we have in Christ, His desire is that we be confident and secure in that relationship. Now there's a second thing I want to point out, and that is first we think about the source of eternal life, and then secondly, the Savior who brings life. And that would be Jesus. We sing a song that I think really reflects the work of Christ, and the song is, Jesus Saves... Jesus saves. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, didn't He? Now with regard to life, I think about Jesus in John chapter 10 when He said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Think about it this way. When we become a child of God, we enjoy a different relationship to God, don't we? Because prior to obeying the gospel, we're said to be in that sphere of spiritual darkness. That's why Paul in Colossians chapter 1 would talk about how we are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So with regard to our relationship to God, when you become a child of God, you enjoy a lot of blessings here and now. One of which is the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 14. It's in Him that we have forgiveness of sins through the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus. That's just one blessing. And you can think about the blessings of prayer and the fact that God is always with us, His presence. There's so many blessings. But then, beyond that, we have the quality of life defined as eternal. And so... We come to live in hope of life eternal. Well, the Lord is the one who brings that life, isn't He? So I think about the place of eternal life. I said just a moment ago in 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 10, that salvation is in Christ Jesus. And those who are in Christ Jesus, they enjoy that quality of life defined as eternal. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. I want you to look at verse 11. John said, this is a testimony, this is a record that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Now look at verse 12. He who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what we're really emphasizing in this point has to do with the people who have eternal life. Well, what kind of people are we talking about? First, we're talking about people that enjoy a relationship to God, don't they? In other words, they are in fellowship with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 9, Paul said that God has called us into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. So you think about those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Those of us who have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. You recall in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, John said, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you may have fellowship with us and with God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. So there is vertical fellowship, that is the fellowship we enjoy with God. Horizontally, we enjoy fellowship with one another, don't we? So... Those who are in fellowship with God, they are among the called. We're called by the gospel. Not only are we the called, but we are the cleansed. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, haven't we? Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he recounted his conversion? In Acts twenty-two sixteen, he said, Ananias said unto him, Why do you tarry? What are you waiting on? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. So when we obey the gospel, we enter into fellowship with God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and people of like precious faith, don't we? So we are among the called, we are among the cleansed, and we are among the changed. In other words, there is a change of life in Christ. If something didn't change in your life after you obeyed the gospel, then something's not right. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. He said, Behold, all things have become new. So we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We enjoy a changed life, a different life, the ability to start anew, to start over. Now there's a second thing. We talk about the people who enjoy eternal life. First, they are those who have fellowship with God. Secondly, they are those who are faithful to God. And that's important. So what I want you to do is look with me at some passages in the book of 1 John to really nail this down and underscore what we're talking about. When we talk about faithfulness to God, look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John here tells us that those who are faithful, that they walk in the light. Notice what he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That means when we obey the gospel, and we daily live in conformity to the Word of God, the will of God, we walk in harmony with His will, that the blood of Jesus is constantly working in our lives, isn't it? Now, look over in chapter 2 for a minute. 
Think with me, if, if you would, for just a minute about walking in the light. It really carries with it the idea of conformity to the commands of God. So look at verse 3. By this we know that we know Him. Well, how do we know that we know Him? Listen to Him. If we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. The truth is not in Him. Whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected, been completed in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Now look at verse 6. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. Now we talk about walking in the footsteps of Jesus, that Jesus is our great example. So to walk in the light simply means to conform to the commands of God, doesn't it? To be obedient to Almighty God. Now, in a very specific way, let me just outline a couple of things that would help you to see what it means to be faithful to God and to walk in the light. Look at verses 15 through 17 in 1 John chapter 2. Those who are faithful to God withstand the world. Why? Because the world is that sphere that is dominated by the devil. In other words, we're no longer a part of the devil's family. We belong to God, don't we? The Bible says that the devil is the God of this age, the God of this world. And so when it comes to, when it comes to the world, the elements of the world, that system of evil, we are to shun it. So listen to what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And John said the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So, there is a desire to abstain, as Paul would say, from evil. To turn away from the elements of the world. Now there's another point I want to share with you. We think about withstanding the world. Secondly, we are to pursue purity. Look at verse 3, chapter 3. John said, everyone who has, has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now we talk about the purity and the holiness of God, the character of God. God's desire is that we live lives of purity. Do you remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Paul, in writing to Timothy, Timothy was, was his son in the faith. And Paul said to Timothy, Keep yourself pure. In other words, we're not like the world. To realize, number one, who we are, and number two, whose we are. We belong to God. So we're striving to the best of our ability to withstand the world, to pursue purity. There's another aspect, and that is we are benevolent to our brothers who are in Christ. Look again at chapter 3. Look at verse 17. John said, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, now listen, but in deed and in truth. 
The last couple of weeks we've been taking up money to send to Texas. To those who are living in Houston that have been pummeled by a hurricane. I think I said the other day that I read the damages in Houston about $160 billion. I read where some three to 500,000 automobiles were destroyed in that city. You talk about devastation. And so we have the opportunity to help people in that area, don't we? That's what John's talking about. So we strive to the best of our ability to be benevolent. And then there's another feature. We are to love as the Lord loved. Now back in 1 John chapter 3, John accentuates the love that we're to have for one another. In chapter 4, listen to him in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Drop down, look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, listen to him, we also ought to love one another. So when you talk about faithfulness to God, here are some specifics that help you get a bearing on what it means to be faithful to God. Now, sometimes people ask the question, what happens if I stumble and fall? Well, back up and look at chapter 3 for just a moment because what I want you to understand is when we talk about being faithful to God, faithfulness does not mean infallible. Doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake, that you're not going to say or do something that would be out of character for a child of God. So in 1 John chapter 3, here's what John said. Look at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he who was manifested to take away our sins, or rather he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, wait a minute. You just said a minute ago that we're to be faithful. That's right. And you also said that faithfulness does not mean infallibility. But John said, whoever abides in him does not sin. So what's he saying here? He's saying that someone who obeys the gospel of Christ is not going to live a life of habitual sin. Why? Because it's out of character for us. It's not the norm. We gave up sin. When? When we died to the love and the practice of sin through repentance and were buried with Him in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life. So, John said, Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. That's a key verse. To practice righteousness is to walk in the light. It is to conform to the commands of God. Simply put, it's to be faithful, isn't it? So listen to what he says. He who sins is of the devil, 
For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now we're going to back, back up and look at chapter 1 in a minute because I want you to understand John is not saying here that once you become a child of God, it is impossible for you to sin. Or that you will never sin, you'll never make a mistake. That is not what John is saying here. He's talking about a way of life. And the contrast is between those who practice righteousness and those who practice unrighteousness. Those who practice righteousness are walking in the light. They're faithful to God. They are conforming to the will of God. So, in verse 9, he said, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In other words, somebody who has obeyed the gospel is not going back to that old way of life. Do you remember in Romans chapter 6, Paul asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What was his answer? God forbid. Listen to him. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? That's, that's what he's trying to drive home in chapter 6 of Romans. That you died to the love and the practice of sin. That way of life is over. In the latter part of the chapter he would say, You have your fruit unto holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Why? Because you've changed your life. You gave your life to the Lord when you obeyed the gospel, didn't you? And so because of that, you're striving to practice righteousness. Now, pick up with me, if you would, very quickly, and look at verse 10. Because I said there's a contrast between those who practice righteousness and those who do not practice righteousness. Verse 10, in this the children of God, the children of the devil are manifest. All right, How then do we know a child of God and a child of the devil? Listen to him. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You got it? When somebody obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ, they die to the love and the practice of sin. They become practitioners of righteousness. They're striving to walk in the light, to conform to the commands of God, to be obedient to His will, in short, to be faithful. That's what we're striving to do. Now, back up and look at chapter 1 very quickly. In chapter 1, John tells us, look, if we walk in the light, that is, if we walk in harmony with the will of God, the assurance is we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I would underscore that word all, A-L-L. Whatever sin there might be, the blood of Jesus is the remedy, isn't it? Well, what happens if we stumble and fall? Look at chapter 2 very quickly, verse 1. And then we'll back up and look at verses 8 through 10. John said, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Why? Because you died of that way of life. Your goal is to rise above a life of sin. You're not practicing unrighteousness anymore, are you? You're not a child of the devil. You're a child of God. So the divine ideal is that we rise above sin. But he said, if anyone sins, there it is. Well, what if I sin? What if I stumble and fall? What if I, in a moment of weakness, say or do something 
that I shouldn't do. Listen to what he said. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here is Jesus standing before the bar of heaven. And Jesus is standing before God the Father. And He is coming before the Father with our sins. The basis upon which we are exonerated is what? The blood. The blood that was shed on Calvary. Now, with that in mind, back up and look at chapter 1 again. In verse 8, John said, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look, we're human beings, aren't we? I don't know of a perfect person in this world. I've known some good people. I've known some very, as we would say, godly people. But I have never known a perfect human being outside of Jesus Christ. So, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can live without ever stumbling and falling. Well, what happens if we stumble and fall? Well, we have an advocate with the Father, don't we? Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean to tell me that if I am faithful to God, if I'm walking in the light, and I'm practicing righteousness, and I'm striving to be submissive to the will of God day in, day out, that the blood of Jesus is constantly working in my life, and that I am saved. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's not you're in fellowship with God today, out of fellowship tomorrow, back in fellowship the next day, out of fellowship the following day. No, it is a continuous progressive lifestyle in Christ. It is a life intent on living for Christ, isn't it? As Paul said in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Having said that, turn back to chapter 5. And think with me, if you would, very quickly about the promise of of eternal life. Look at verse 13. John said, These things I have written to you who believe. That is, the preceding things he's just recorded under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. He said, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now listen. That you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. What do you think John was trying to do? I think he was trying to settle these folks down and say, look, you're walking in the light. You're striving to walk in the light. You're trying to live in harmony with the will of God. In light of that fact, you have eternal life, don't you? Can you know that you have eternal life? Yes, you can. First, there is the revelation about eternal life. Do you remember back in chapter 2, verse 25, John said, this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. 
God has promised us eternal life if we do what? If we obey His will. He is the author of eternal salvation unto all who do what? Obey Him. Hebrews chapter 5, 8 and 9. So when we obey God, we are ushered into fellowship with Him. We live faithfully to His will. And in so doing, we have the quality of life defined as eternal. You wouldn't know anything about eternal life if, if it weren't for Scripture, would you? Now, having said that, what then is the requirement for eternal life? What's the prerequisite? Before I answer that question, I want to ask this question. Would it be wrong for me to say to someone who were to ask me, do you know that you're going to heaven? Would it be wrong for me to say, yes, I'm going to heaven? Would it be wrong for me to say, I know that I'm going to heaven? Wouldn't be wrong. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible says we can know that we have eternal life. Now, let me just very quickly share with you a couple of passages. I want to read these passages because I want you to see it in black and white. So go back and look at very quickly at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has just contrasted that which is temporal in nature to that which is eternal in nature. And so in chapter 5, Paul says, he had, just said, he had just said the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are not seen are eternal. So you make the transition into chapter 5, and here's what he says, For we know. What was it John said? That you may know that you have eternal life. What is it that Paul's saying? For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that is, this body, the body that our spirit dwells in, our soul dwells in, that internal dimension. He said, we know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, how's that for confidence? How's that for assurance? How's that for somebody saying, you know what, we know, I know, that when I lay down in death, I'm going home to be with God. Now, very quickly, turn over if you would, and look with me, at, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 very quickly. Well, first of all, look at Philippians chapter 1. Here's Paul, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look at verse 23. Paul said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying that for me to live in this temporal tabernacle of flesh, in other words, to live here on planet Earth, means that I can serve the Lord. But, he said, if I die, what happens? I go home to be with God. Is that confidence? Is that a sense of assurance? Yes, it is. You think Paul knew that he had eternal life? Yes, he did. What was it he said to Titus? That we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. So, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul here is now in the shadow of death. In verse 6 he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
What was it we said about eternal life and the people of God? They're in fellowship with Him, and they are faithful to Him. What was it Paul said? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul here is saying, look, when that Roman guard comes in to take me out to the guillotine, and my head is severed from my body, I know that there is a righteous judge in heaven, and he will give unto me the crown of life. That's what he's saying. Confident? Absolutely. Assured? Yes, sir. Now, having said that, go back and look at 1 John 5 very quickly. I know our time's gone. So what then is the requirement for eternal life? Here it is. Listen to John. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, you keep on keeping on, don't you? You live faithfully for God. Paul said it best. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be faithful until death. What's the promise? The crown of life. James chapter 1, verse 12, In spite of temptation, in spite of trials, James said, Blessed is the man, listen to him, that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, listen to him, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. That keep on keeping on, right? Right. So, should we be confident? Shouldn't we feel secure in our relationship to God? You know what the answer is? Absolutely. I would encourage you, read and reread the book of 1 John. If you lack security, if you feel a sense of insecurity, read the book of 1 John. Read 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. Read 2 Timothy chapter 4. Over and over again, promises are made to whom? To God's people. God's people who are keeping on, keeping on. So tonight we close by asking this question. Are you a Christian? If you haven't entered the Christian race, then look. You need to do it today. The Bible says, Why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. If you're baptized into Christ, all your sins washed away, God will add you to the church. Acts 2, verse 47. If, perchance, you're here tonight and maybe your life is not what it ought to be, and you know that you need to make things right, I want you to know right now, look, if you were to come forward, nobody's going to think anything bad about you. If anything, we're going to be grateful that you chose to come forward. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. You can leave here tonight knowing all is well. What was it John said? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come now as we stand and sing.